today on Growth Mindset University. Does time exist? Yes. Is time an illusion? Yes. Does free will exist? Sure. Is free will an illusion? Most certainly. You're listening to Growth Mindset University, educating tomorrow's leaders with lessons from today's entrepreneurial elite. It's a progressive new age of business we find ourselves in, and we'll help you find the success you seek by listening to today's industry professionals and thought leaders teach us the lessons we should have learned in school but didn't. Now, please welcome your host, Jordan Paris. Welcome to Growth Mindset University, where we are re-releasing some of the best productions of Growth Mindset University over the past 2.5 plus years. There have been so many tremendous productions of Growth Mindset University. Too many to re-release here. I'm not going to re-release old episodes forever. This is three out of four. Tomorrow will be the last re-release for quite some time time and we'll be back to original brand new episodes every monday at 4 a.m eastern standard time but if you want to check out all of the episodes from our best of collection you can go to jordanparis.com slash best that's jordanparis.com slash best for all of the best episodes of the podcast thus far now today i am re-releasing an episode with just an absolute hero. He wrote one of my favorite books of all time. I have a few books that are kind of tied for first place. They were my favorite books before I had interviewed these people, might I say. And the, and the three books that are, are tied are The Laws of Human Nature by Robert Greene and The Subtle Art of Not Giving a You-Know-What by Mark Manson. I interviewed him twice. I also interviewed Robert Greene and Dan Millman's Way of the Peaceful Warrior. Incredible book. It's every time I find myself trying to describe it, I'm like, it, I can't even describe it. I, I just say like, oh, it'll, it'll change your life. And then I realize the subtitle of the book is literally a book that changes lives. Way of the Peaceful Warrior, a book that changes lives. If you don't have that book, if you haven't read that book, Got to get it. It was also made into a movie in 2006. Nick Nolte starred in that movie. And I connected with Dan, and he is very, very kind, very gentle, just like I would have expected. And it was wonderful to have a conversation with him. You can share that conversation that I have with Dan today at Jordan, with jordanparis.com slash ep Two one one. That's jordanparis.com slash EP211 to share this wonderful conversation with Dan Millman of Way the Peaceful Warrior with your friends, family, etc. today. Now, before we get into the episode, something quick that I wanted to share with you is that we have a Facebook group, a private Facebook group for listeners of Growth Mindset University. And it's at facebook.com slash groups slash growth mindset university. That's facebook.com slash groups slash growth mindset university to join a community of listeners of Growth Mindset University. I look forward to seeing you there and interacting with you. And now without further ado, here is the conversation that I was so incredibly grateful to have with the one and only Dan Millman. What time is it? Well, I can answer that one of two ways. Uh, I was just doing a, a recording yesterday about this very topic. From a conventional view, the time is right now, it's, you know, whatever it is, uh, Eastern or Pacific time or mountain time. Um, transcendentally speaking, the time is always now the eternal present. And both are true. And where are we? Well, uh, again, conventionally speaking, we're in different locations. You, Fort Myers, Florida, me, uh, Brooklyn, New York. But, of course, transcendentally speaking, it's always here, wherever we are. And uh, it's so funny. I, you know, after I read Way of the Peaceful Warrior, that, that scene there in there uh, when Socrates is 
you know, asked you that question a few times throughout the book. Uh, you know, I started, I started saying it to my friends. It's like, what time is it? And they'd, they'd be like, oh, 2.30. And I'm like, no, <laughs> the time is now. <laughs> oh, man, it's, it's so funny. I, I mean, I love it. And it's so, it's so true too. So here and now breathe and relax is, is sort of the mantra that I, that I say over in my head from that as well, that, you know, you, that you say as well, that I've heard you say, uh, why, why do you think Socrates had such a, uh, fixation on, on here and now, breathe and relax and asking you this question? Well, there's a brief story behind the here and now, breathe and relax. Uh, a young man came up to me once, um, a bit younger than you, just probably first or second year in college. And I gave a talk at a university and he came up to me afterward and said, look, Dan, I, I know you do consultations with people, um, but I'm, I, you know, you probably charge a lot of money for it. And he said, what can you tell me for, a, I'm a poor college student. What can you tell me for a dollar? <laughs> so I, I told him those six words here and now breathe and relax. It's a lifetime practice. Um, and I think Socrates, the, the, my old mentor, as described in, in my first book, not the ancient Greek, yeah. um, he was a, a service station attendant, but a cosmic old guy. And he was focused on, well, an aspect of reality. Um, you know, I, speaking of quotes, Mark Twain once said, I've had many troubles in my life, most of which never happen, because most of our troubles uh, don't happen right now in front of us. Most of them are from what we call the past or what we call the future. We anticipate a meeting we have to go to, we're not looking forward to, or some other event. Uh, that's the future. It's not real, not now. And, or we are saying, oh, if I'd only done this or that, regrets um, um, and various memories that are gone they are only uh, in, uh, registering in the synapses of our brains, uh, remembered from this present moment. So it's a good reminder for all of us because it helps us attune to what is real. And the more we're attuned to reality, the better our lives flow. Uh, people who are out of touch with reality have all kinds of complications and problems. So when we talk about past, we're really talking about memory. When we're talking about future, we're talking about imagination. And there's nothing wrong, of course, with using these capacities we have, what we call memory or imagination, but not confusing them with what our moment of power, which is always what's right in front of us. So I think that's why Socrates uh, uh, was teaching that with such emphasis in the book and, and the film version as well. Excellent. Yeah. And you say sitting meditation is the beginner's practice. I think that would come as a shock to people who, you know, meditate, you know, are very serious about sitting down, setting aside time and meditating every day of which, you know, you, you and I both know many people who do that and it's amazing. But why is it the beginner's practice? And, and when do we graduate? What's the, after we graduate from that beginner's practice, what's the next step? Well, meditation is an exercise. It's a practice, just as doing push-ups or lifting weights is a practice or an exercise. Um, they both uh, have predictable outcomes if we practice diligently, uh, different kinds of outcomes. You do push-ups over time, you get stronger in various muscle groups. And if you meditate over time, uh, sincerely, you get uh, a better, more distance from the thought processes. You get, you start to see the nature of mind, the illusory nature of these random discursive thoughts that pop into our minds, sometimes positive, sometimes negative. We can call them associations, beliefs, uh, or just random um, kinds of, of images and impressions, opinions, judgments, and so on. All the contents of what we call the mind. Um, so the paradox here is that Meditation is both the beginning and an advanced practice, depending on how we do it. You see, the primary difference, Jordan, between doing push-ups and meditating is one can't pretend to do quality push-ups. <laughs> it's right there. Yeah. But people often sit down to meditate and they sit and daydream for a while. And uh, the body relaxes when you're sitting quietly and focusing on your breathing, for example. Um, people say, oh, my, it quiets my mind. Well, the major function is it quiets the body. Uh, 
And when the body finally settles down to a restful, peaceful state, um, then the mind tends to follow. When we're very relaxed, we tend to have less of a tumult of, of thoughts. But meditation is not to quiet the mind forcefully in some way. It's simply to see the thoughts that continue to arise. Many people think they're not very good at meditating because they notice uh, a lot of thoughts and feelings passing through, popping up, but that's part of the process. There's nothing wrong with it. It still happens um, no matter how long someone has meditated. Uh, it, it's sort of a common illusion that uh, he is an advanced meditator, she is an advanced meditator, and their mind is totally quiet for uh, an hour. Well, uh, no, I don't think so. Um, and in fact, in daily life, uh, one can meditate their way through daily life. Um, we call it mindfulness. It's become a thing, you know, the term, like something special. But all mindfulness means is paying attention to what's going on in the present moment without judgments, just noticing. And one can do mindfulness meditation in which you notice the content or what we call our inner content, the thoughts and emotions and sensations within the skin bag we call our body. Um, but one can also be mindful just walking around, actually paying attention rather than lost in a, a cell phone or, or a smartphone, though that is a form of meditation on whatever mm. we're looking at. Um, even if it's a video uh, or a movie, we're, we're paying attention to that. So anyway, I don't want to go on too long and make this a seminar, but awareness manifests in the human being as attention, and we can get better at it. It's called concentration or mindfulness. And you, so, can, yeah. Yeah, you can meditate eyes wide open on everyday life is what you're beginning to to talk about. You know, we, could, uh, we could do it as we're walking. I mean, it can be into our phone, but it could also be on trees, uh, which is often a source for me, leaves, uh, grass, and nature, the sky, oh my gosh, stars. Dan, you ever look up at stars at night and meditate on that? Oh, absolutely. Or, or on vacation up, up in the mountains and mm. the forests. When we're in new environments, we tend to uh, wake up in a different way because it's new. And so we pay more attention to it. If, you know, if you go to Europe or Asia or anywhere and you go, wow, look at that. I think it's a laundromat where it's something you just wouldn't notice at home because it's the same old, same old. So uh, often we, we feel a different quality of attention when we're in a new environment. Yeah. Yeah. And you can meditate as well on the food that you eat, the textures, the taste, the, the smells, the aromas, right? And uh, one of my favorite quotes of yours from Way of a Peaceful Warrior, the irony of your present eating habits is that while you fear missing a meal, you aren't fully aware of the meals you do eat. I even recited that to somebody <laughs> last night while I was out. I'd like to just pull your quotes out. But uh, <laughs> so, so when did you learn that lesson, Dan? Can you tell us about that one? Well, you indicated in the introduction that I went on a 20-year spiritual quest. Um, in a sense, I believe we're all on a spiritual quest, whether we would phrase it like that, or whether we're conscious of it or not. We're all yearning for a sense of transcendent liberation or, or freedom, um, insight, a connection with, with other people, a real connection with, with so-called others and with uh, even, even what we might call the divine or the transcendent. Um, most of our days are spent with our attention, as it should be, in the conventional world, everyday life, doing what we need to do. Um, but there is that yearning, which created religions and spiritual practices all over the world. That sense of there must be something more than news, weather, and sports. Uh, a sense of quality, uh, perspective, which is the better part of wisdom. And so... That was a quest that I pursued consciously because I was disillusioned. I was a successful athlete, had a girlfriend, school was going great. Uh, I'd won a world championship and some national titles. and That didn't make me happy for more than a few minutes. Um, and I said, well, where is happiness? What is it? Uh, where is fulfillment? And so I began to explore Eastern as well as, well as Western approaches to the uh, this issue of... Uh, problem of happiness what the and and the western uh, solution is 
you know, Tony Robbins, unleash your power, achieve, <laughs> succeed, make yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. And that's fine. That is nothing wrong with that. Uh, succeeding and making money and doing all that. And it's part of the play of, of life. Um, but then I shifted over to the Eastern solution, which is all about the answers all lie within and, and looking internally and self-knowledge and, and yeah, that's true in a sense, except I've met some grumpy monks. Mm. Uh, um, so I think the answer is both is, is paying attention to our external world. And that's why I recommend people have their head in the clouds, but feet on the ground. It's a matter of the best of East and West. Seeking versus finding. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you can become an inveterate seeker. It can become a habit after a while or, uh, you're not even noticing what you found. You're still busy seeking something else. Um, you know, the, the search only reinforces this sense of dilemma, not enoughness, that um, sent us seeking in the first place. There are young people with a lot of energy, and, and they're on the build. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm an older guy. I'm 73 now. I'm kind of, I could be nearing at retirement, though I've got one more major book project I'm working on. Um, I still go teach around the world, more invited here and there. But, uh, you know, they have a lot of energy on the build and they say, Dan, I want to do 100%. I'm not, maybe I'm not reaching my potential. And I sometimes, tongue in cheek, I say, well, maybe you have reached your potential. Maybe yesterday was your high point. (laughs) And if that were true, what would you do the rest of your life? Maybe play a little bit more and have fun with life and not this uh, endless uh, got to improve. You know, you know it, it struck me some time ago that no matter how much I improved myself, and I was on an endless self-improvement project, um, only one person benefited. But if I could somehow reach out and influence other people and, and, and give some service in the world, that made my life more meaningful. And that made a fundamental shift in, in my own life. There's nothing wrong with, though, improvement obviously and and because the better we are the better we you know the world is so but that's those are my thoughts that come up around that comment you made right i want to talk about moderation this is something that since i've read your book i i go i have gone back and forth on and it's the topic of moderation for years dan i uh i was on the straight and narrow uh, never ever cheated as far as eating, you know, right? Like perfectly healthy. Uh, when, you know, if I would go out to eat with friends, which was rare, I'd, I'd look at you, you know, and, and I, I would, I would not eat anything. <laughs> uh, and that became that because my, my thing was moderation is for the weak. And then you have as the quote in your book, moderation. Or, or moderation question mark it's mediocrity fear and confusion in disguise so but now in 2019 i find myself more often having that pizza having that burger and fries maybe maybe two times a month right if that uh, do you ever have that bur- those burger and, and fries dan well, yes and no, and you're bringing up two important notes, I think. One is moderation, the idea of it. What did I mean by that when I wrote that, um, Socrates' words? Yeah. Um, and the other is is about diet and so on. And and first of all, what he meant by moderation when he stood up on the, his desk and was railing against moderation, he was saying that moderation is like lukewarm tea. That was his view. It's like do we always want, when we take a shower, do we want it to be just lukewarm, not too hot, not too cold? Mm-hmm. Or do we want to take a nice hot shower, especially in the wintertime, and then finish with a cold shower? But that's that averages out to moderation too. So it doesn't mean we never explore extremes. Uh, it just means the conventional wisdom is everything in moderation, including moderation. So... That's what he meant by moderation. He wasn't saying one should be crazy swinging from one side to the other pole of overdoing and underdoing and so on. Uh, There's still wisdom in the middle way. But as far as eating goes, you know, some foods aren't ideal for the body, but they're kind of good for the soul. You know what I mean? A little dark chocolate now and then, dessert. So um, Joy and I do uh, both eat quite healthy diets. I... um, when I was a young man and, and had my right leg shattered in a motorcycle crash, 
um, even though I didn't drive as crazily as depicted in the movie version of the book, um, I, it just had somebody turned left in front of me and I smashed and flew over him and shattered my right leg in 40 pieces. And when I was in the hospital recovering from the sur- um, major surgery after that to fix my, my leg, um, a doctor friend of mine uh, came in. He was an ER physician, also an acrobat, a member of Mensa. Um, he was uh, a pilot, a hang glider, interesting guy. And he brought me a book on vegetarian diet. And I read it and I went, this makes sense. So I stopped eating meat. And that was pretty much it. For like 50 years, I've been vegetarian. So I probably haven't had a burger lately, um, maybe a veggie burger. Yeah, but sure. Once in a while, we have pizza. Once a week, I go out for ice cream. Uh, there was a period of time where Joy and I had a, a pig night. We called it, where we could eat anything we wanted, but just that one evening, rather than kind of uh, overdoing it uh, every day. Yeah, it was just like for two hours in one evening. We said, "What do we want to have?" and we and we ate it, whatever we felt like. And I've I've been lucky. I mean, other people aren't so lucky. I I just don't like alcohol. I've never liked the taste. I yeah. wish I liked beer. I wish I liked wine, sociable drinks, and they you know their aesthetics around them, uh, and and connoisseurs, you know. But I just don't like the taste. So I never. It's not like I have any moral judgment about it. So we all have our own instincts, our own karmas, if you will. Um, there are some people uh, tend to be more addictive and uh, do things that aren't very good for the body and and they pay a price for it later on in life Um, but I've been fortunate in that way but no we're not some you know we're not Puritans and super strict and I don't believe we should impose a a, a philosophy on how on our body on how we eat uh, how we behave we need to find our our own level of balance In, in fact there's one fundamental principle of what I teach, this approach to living I call a peaceful warrior's way, is that there is no best diet, no best exercise system or martial art, uh, no best yoga, no best uh, book, no best path, no best religion, no best teacher. There is only the best for each of us at a given time of our lives. So we have to pay attention, experiment, and find out what works for us. And you, you've taken care of yourself. I mean, I want to highlight that. I mean, because I think it was your TED Talk. You were still doing like, hand. what was it, a handstand you did? I remember watching that TED Talk almost a year ago as well. Was that what it was? Yeah, I still do handstand, cartwheels wow. um, every day uh, as part of my morning workout. Um, so, yeah, for 73, I, I generally people tell me I look younger and I'm in pretty good shape for, for that age. Now, you mentioned your wife, Joy, and as this story is unfolding in Way of the Peaceful Warrior, this uh, amazing story, a blend of fact and fiction, you, there's a love story going on as well along the way, and you meet, and you meet Joy, and just the way, you, the way you describe her throughout the book, I, I just, wow, I just found myself rooting for you, and and I and I didn't know the full story as I was reading it, and I didn't really know like too much of like where you were today as I was reading that book. So when I went and saw that you're married to her now, I was like, "Holy crap! Wow, that is the coolest thing I I have like ever." I I was so captivated by the the story of it. And you mentioned though that she's been your greatest teacher, not Socrates. That which essentially the entire book is is you and Socrates and lear- you learning the lessons from Socrates. Um, but you say joy is your greatest teacher. Why and, and what lesson is it that, uh, what's the greatest lesson she's taught you? Well, you know, it's hard to find the greatest one thing. Um, but yeah, my, my recent life, these last 10 or 15 years, has really been keeping up with joy, which I do symbolically in the book, of course. She's the runner, and I'm always trying to keep up with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she still runs. She ran around the park. She's, you know, at 67 and ran around the park. Does it a couple of times a week. Um, and, well... She's just very strong and evolved. I think she's an older soul, so to speak. Um, 
and she's been in the background, you know, we, she, she has a more private sense than I do. She said, Dan, you signed up for this public life. I, I didn't. And I respect that. So, uh, and yet she's been, she's the matriarch of our family. We've been married 43 years so far, but who's counting? Um, so we, I, I've been, I've been lucky that way. You know, Socrates, the ancient Greek, not my old, old mentor that I describe in the book, but the actual Socrates, he once said, by all means, marry. He said, because if you, mar- if you choose well, you'll be happy. And if you don't, you'll become a philosopher. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I guess I'm a happy philosopher. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I joke with people that when they talk about relationships, I say, well, it took me 25 years of marriage to finally realize that my wife was not criticizing me. Uh, she was improving me <laughs> almost daily. So um, anybody married for a while can, can appreciate that. Um, uh, so... Yeah, we. Uh, and as far as your question, you know, directly, what what is yes. this biggest lesson? I, I believe we teach by example. That's how we influence people. There's another quotation: uh, Children have never been very good at listening to what their parents tell them, but they never fail to imitate those parents in some way. So, uh, and, and uh, Albert Schweitzer, a famous doctor, uh, once said. Uh, in influencing other people, example is not the main thing. It's the only thing. Right. So I think by her example, uh, she, and, and, you know, in a sense, I've probably done the same for her. I can't know my influence on her. I only can speak to my, her influence on me. Um, so it's not teaching like talking teaching. It's just her influence uh, as... Uh, yeah. So, again, I, I've been very f- fortunate in, in my life, uh, in my choice. Now, remember, she was my second wife. I was married for eight yeah. years as a young man. Was her name Linda? Yes, Linda. Oh. And and that was my training wheels marriage. And, and hopefully, with many people, the first marriage takes forever. Um, but it, it, it didn't uh, work out that way. So, I, I've looked at life from both sides, in a sense. I was young and extremely immature. I wasn't ready for a committed relationship, too self-absorbed. Um, well, it was kind of good you lost yeah. track of Joy then and, then, and then reconnected with her later when you were a little more mature, I guess. Well, that was written into the book as a way of explaining what had happened. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, I see. So, you've had some great teachers and, and mentors in your life, of course, do you think everyone needs a mentor in order to, quote unquote, be successful, whatever they think of as successful? Do you think everyone needs a mentor? Absolutely. And fortunately, we all do have mentors. Inevitably, whether we recognize it consciously or not, they don't have to play the formal role of a teacher or a guru where we sit down at their feet and they you know, hold forth, um, there is an old saying that we have no friends, we have no adversaries, we only have teachers. Um, and, and many of us have heard that sort of new agey saying that, that uh, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. It's a lovely idea, um, and, but people misinterpret that to mean that when we're somehow deserving or prepared or initiated, a teacher like Socrates will appear to guide us up the path. But I don't believe it means that. I believe it means when we're, when the student is ready or paying attention, the teacher appears everywhere. I tell a story about how I learned a profound lesson one day from just watching a cloud drift across the sky. Um, So... Clouds don't rush across the sky. Right. And, yeah. and it slowed me down. I took a deep breath and it, it was a reminder. So, and you, nature has always been a primary teacher. Uh, streams flowing downhill, water taking the shape of its container. Bruce Lee used to talk about that. Um, trees bending in the wind. There's a natural way of being. Uh, the Taoist philosophers emphasize this a great deal. Uh, even Jesus, this uh, sermon he gave, you know, the lilies of the field, uh, they don't have to try, they just live naturally and go with the flow, more or less. So, um, 
our teachers are everywhere, and and people who write to me after reading Way of the Peaceful Warrior and say, Dan, I I wish I had a teacher like Socrates, and I write back, you do. That's why I wrote the book. So I'm not I'm not trying to hoard what I learned. He is becomes your teacher as well. So we're all teachers. We're all students. Um, humbling, yeah, humbling human lessons in the school of everyday life, as you would say. Now, you have a lot of people writing to you that saying the book changed their lives. The book changed the way they think. It For me, it certainly changed the way that I think. I find it ingrained in such a large part of my psychology, so to say. I, you know, as, I'm, as I'm digging through and, and preparing for this, I'm like, oh my gosh, Like that's where this thought comes from. <laughs> and it's like something that I think about every day. But and, and the subtitle is A Book That Changes Lives. Every time I find myself trying to describe this book to people in like in a very short sentence, which is like hard to do, I, I find myself wanting to say, it will change your life. And then I'm like, oh gosh, it's the subtitle. <laughs> but do you get people on the other side that write to you and are like, this sucks? Do you get that? Do you get the, the hate mail, so to say? Yes and no. Um, you know, you go to any book on Amazon or, or Goodreads and you'll see the ratings and they, they generally range, almost any book, um, from five stars to one star. Um, I guess it depends on how many five stars versus how many one stars. So there are people who don't like the book. They don't like the fact that it's, um, well, look, when I first wrote the book, my, I told my first publisher in 1980 that it blended uh, autobiography with some fictional elements woven in for the sake of the story. So my editor thought it would be cute and clever to give the book a subtitle, a basically true story. And it was that was a clever idea um, because it's unusual, you know. But the bookstores didn't know where to put it. There was no online sales way back in 1980, uh, and they didn't know what shelf to put it on. They said, is it fiction or nonfiction? It can't be both. But it was. I never claimed it was memoir, because that memoir is not supposed to have any any fiction. It was simply a, a story. Um, and then, uh, it's funny, I tell the story, this old guy who was a retired publisher, who's probably younger than I am now, um, he discovered the out of, an out-of-print copy of the book because it got into very few bookstores. And he said, I want to republish this book. And I had gotten so many letters from people, actual letters they wrote, put in an envelope and sent it by post back then. Um, and they echoed again and again, people saying, this book changed my life, this book changed. And I was going, really? And I asked people over time, what do you mean by that? And I think it comes to a shift in perspective. It, it helped them, it reminded people of uh, some deeper elements, a uh, big picture of life and our potential. Um, so that has to do with that whole idea of a book that changes lives. But Clearly, no book can change our lives. We can change our life. And the question is, do we need to change our life? Because, you know, when things are going well, we don't want to change. We don't want anything to change. When things aren't going well, uh, for our, much of our youth, we want to change people around us so we can enjoy life more. This person has to do this, and they should be that way, and the world should be this way. But eventually, some, some shift happens where we realize we have more control over changing ourselves than we do changing other people and the world. Obviously, we can certainly improve in politics and, and our relations and many other improvements outside of us, and that's important as well. But when people start to realize and take responsibility for their lives, they, they're no longer like the man who refused to wear glasses and just insisted they weren't printing the newspapers clearly anymore. <laughs> so we start to take responsibility. And there's a story in Peaceful Warrior, you, I'm sure you remember, about I was complaining to Socrates about, you know, some, somebody wasn't being fair to me or one of the professors. Uh. And he said, Dan, you remind me of a guy I knew in a construction site years ago. Uh, this guy complained every day about his sandwiches, his lunch. He'd open his lunchbox and go, ah, oh, not another peanut butter sandwich, you know. And mm. he said, I hate peanut butter. And, and the next day he opened his sandwich, you know, 
what? Not peanut butter and jelly again? Oh, I hate it. And finally, one of his workmates said, Mac, if you don't like peanut butter and jelly, you know, why don't you ask your wife to make you something different? And he says, what do you mean, my wife? He said, you know I'm not married. I make my own sandwiches. And that's, that's kind of a little story about hmm. personal responsibility. Um, that in a sense, we all make our own sandwiches. Uh, we create consciously or not. Uh, we have something to do with circumstances and how we respond to them. And so that, that's why I include little anecdotes in the book like that. Absolutely. So life's three rules. I want to zero in on, uh, you know, life's three rules are paradox, humor, and change as you and Socrates, or it was on, it was on Socrates' business card that, that he had given to you. By the way, do you still have any of those business cards laying around? <laughs> I have my own and I actually, they're, they're, they're similar. I don't give them out much because, you know, peacefulwarrior.com is, is the best way to reach me. Um, so I don't really need a business card, but, um, yeah, I do have on the back of the business card, I, I have, uh, uh, paradox, Dan, a Dan Millman uh. fictional character. Uh. Um, and, and, uh, <laughs> actually joy, joy started that. She had a t-shirt yeah. when, when the movie came, the movie premiere we went to, she was wearing a shirt that said fictional character. Um, because I think that's what it says on like, uh, I don't know. Maybe it says it on like when you, I don't know. I wonder what it says when you Google your name. Cause sometimes like the Google knowledge panel, it'll say like, if it is a fictional character, it'll say like, you know, if you look up Morpheus from, uh, the matrix, it'll say <laughs> fictional character. I'm going to look it up right now. Dan, Millman, it will say American author. Okay, so you're, uh, Google thinks you're an American author. Yeah, <laughs> but but uh, yes, you're so so paradox here. I really have fun with these. Your example is, or Socrates, life is a mystery. Don't waste your time trying to figure it out. Another paradox is, life's short, but ninety years is a heck of a long time to live. Aren't they both true? You know they that's are. It's sort of paradox. They are, um, and you know, life is a mystery. Tr stop trying to figure it out. I mean, that's what scientists and mystics have been doing uh, for millennia, trying to figure out life. And there are certainly uh, tremendous benefits in looking. You know, see, both mystics and scientists want to find the laws of the universe, um, how life works, the laws of reality. And discovering those, they just use different methods. Um, so that is paradoxical because, of course, we want to try to figure out uh, how the body works and 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 uh, big questions of life, like the big question of philosophy is: Does free will exist? Uh, those kinds of things. And yet, uh, there is there is strength in accepting life's mystery um, and just. When I show someone a magic trick, it's been a hobby of mine uh, as, as a young man. and I, I, Now I do it again for my grandkids. I do sleight of hand and that sort of thing. And when I, uh, hmm, I just, I wonder, I've never done this before on the radio or on a podcast. I thought I would do a magic trick for your listeners. Oh, yeah. All right, uh, and you can do it along with them, all right? Just yes. for fun. Okay, yes. so think of a number between one and nine. It can be one or nine or any whole number in between, okay? Just pick your number silently without saying it aloud. Okay, I got it. You have a number? Okay, multiply that number by nine. And you can change the number if you like. Well, let me make sure my <laughs> math is correct. Yeah, check uh, the math. Multiply your number by nine. Yeah, I got it. All right. Now, once you have that, if it's a one-digit number, uh, leave it. But if it's a, it's probably going to be a two-digit number. So add the two digits together to form um, a sum. Okay, got it. Okay. Now, from that sum, the last mathematical thing you do is just subtract five from that number. Okay. That got gives it. you your final number. All right. Yeah. Now, whatever number that is, find a corresponding letter of the alphabet. If if your number is one, it would be A, two would be B, and so on. The corresponding letter. A letter, uh, yeah, the, of so whatever, like the, whatever number you have. So if your number is one, it's A, and, and uh -huh. okay, you got your, your letter now, right? Yes. All right, we're almost done. Can you think of a country that begins with that letter? Yeah. 
Okay, great. Now, whatever country you've chosen that begins with that letter, um, th let's take the last letter of that country. All right? Can you think of an animal that begins with that letter? I can, yeah. Oh, good. You have an animal. All right. And whatever the last letter of that animal is, can you think of a color that begins with that letter? Yeah. Terrific. But Jordan, I've got to tell you, I've never seen an orange kangaroo in Denver. I hear you. You're killing me. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. Now, the reason I thought it was worthwhile <laughs> doing that little magic thing um, was because you had a moment in which it was just childlike wonder. Mm. How in the world? Whoa, it put you in that space. And then, of course, we jump into the more adult analysis, trying to figure it all out. You know, uh, all right, how did he do it? Yeah, yeah. Now, now, um, your listeners out there, probably ninety to ninety-five percent of them came up with the same thing, but and they're gonna. They also went what? Um, yeah. But some didn't. Some chose uh, Dubai or Djibouti or uh, Dominican Republic, and some chose kingfish, ki kitty cat, uh, koala. But most people end up with that, and, and it's a fun. And I, the whole point of it was this childlike wonder and accepting the mystery of life rather than always trying to figure everything out. Wow, that is crazy. I, dude, that, that's, <laughs> thank you so much for doing that. That was, it was fun. I was like giddy with excitement and I'm trying to remember it all. And, <laughs> but then, but yeah, yeah, so funny. I immediately, immediately when you got it, I laughed and I was like, I was like, hold on, what the heck happened? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I got right, it. Right. So, so the, the paradox of, of, you know, life being short, but I mean, 80, 90 years, that's a really long time to live. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even, I mean, heck, even eight months is a long time. Eight, damn, eight hours is a long time too, depending on how you think about it. That's right. But uh, are you, what's your relationship with death? Are you afraid of death? Well, you know, anybody can say yes or no yeah. um, when you, because we can all say, I'm not afraid of death. It, well, Woody Allen said it best. He said, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, paradox is fascinating because uh, when you, at such time, if you do read The Hidden School, I, I address more fully this question of paradox as a key to understanding the two worlds in which we live, the conventional and the transcendental. Each have their truths. Um, so, I'll get to death in a moment, but yes. I just wanted to say something about paradox. It's um, pa uh, Many people confuse it with irony, which is saying one thing and meaning the opposite. Um, but paradox is consists of two apparently opposite statements that are both true. Uh, we've all heard, for example, the or we remember, many of us, the, the famous opening to Charles Dickens' book, A Tale of Two Cities. He begins it with, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Mm. Following with many uh, uh, paradoxical or opposite statements. Uh, it was a time of belief, a time of incredulity, and so on. And how can both those statements be true? Well, you or I could spend uh, a, whole, a whole podcast talking about how it's the best of times. And we could come up with a lot of reasons. Technology and advances in medicine. It's the most peaceful time on the planet for the last... Well, a thousand years, even though we read in the news how violent it is, uh, fewer wars, fewer people being killed, and so on. Um, so, it is the best of times, but yet we could also argue it's the worst of times. The climate change getting worse, and the economy, and the Depression. crazy politics. Oh, yeah, so much. And that, that's something that I want to make the connection for listeners real quick. Hold that thought and pick up, but Mark Manson in episode 99, the author of The Subtle Art of You Know What, and then... Everything is you know what it uh, is. Mm -hmm. It was his most recent book that we just talked about this, and the premise of it is essentially this paradox that everything, yes, is statistically like better than it's ever been, right? Uh, even even homicides are way down, and contrary to popular belief, school shootings are way down. Mm -hmm. You look at the and terrorism way down. Everything's getting better, except people. Depression is. Uh, is more and more prevalent than ever before. Uh, so that this is essentially what the, the paradox of, of that book that, that he wrote there that I'm making this connection to. So so continue, Dan. 
Well, yes, and it's a good point you raise. Uh, before we get back to it, uh, in the, um, uh, I've corresponded with Mark. Um, I, th- I think he's read my book, but he's a great uh, young voice, uh, uh, a younger generation. I'm, it gives me a lot of optimism. Um, yeah. A really good communicator. And I think it's a feeling of loss, enemy, I think they call it. Uh, it's uh, a feeling of a loss of clarity and purpose. Uh, I would define success as making progress toward a meaningful goal. And the more clear our purpose, the more we're on track, in the zone, in the flow. Um, you know, in, in the Peaceful Warrior movie, Dan has a, a moment where he has this realization, the character Dan. He said, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not the destination that makes us happy, Sock. It's, it's the journey. Which there's some wisdom in that. Most of our lives are, are, are spent in the journey, not just reaching one destination after another. Um, and yet, without a destination in mind, there is no journey. We just wander around. And so I, I think by having a purpose and choosing a purpose, and not waiting for it to descend upon us. Um, in fact, one of my books, one of my core teaching books, a small one called The Four Purposes of Life, but that could be the subject of a whole other podcast. Um, but it's about the, the importance of life purpose, and much of my work deals with, with this issue of uh, purpose. Um, so maybe some depression today comes from that. People who are, are struggling to survive in, in the developing world, let's call it, um, they have less depression. Uh, Mark yeah. may have even brought that up because they have a very clear purpose. Uh, it's a struggle physically, uh, but it's an heroic one and they're engaged in it. And some of us, you know, life is in some ways almost too easy. We wonder where's the meaning in it. So I think that that addresses a little bit about that. Obviously, it can range from clinical depression, a biochemical imbalance, to just feeling sad yeah. for the state of the world. Um, Did so, you ever feel yeah. depressed or sad? Well, ever. Uh, Yes, yes. Um, I'd be happy to say if I if I did suffer from it, I, again, I'm, I'm lucky in that way. Uh, but there have been people who've been very melancholic, uh, you know, just like some parts of the world, like the Nordic countries, have more cloud cover, uh, fewer sunny days. Some people are like that. They're just innately hardwired to be a little bit more melancholic. Abraham Lincoln, you know, our former president, uh, was a melancholic, but he managed to get some pretty important things done. It, while while feeling blue or, or sad, um, and we don't really have time, I don't think, to get into it. But yeah. one of the fundamental tenets, of also the way I teach it, it is less about fixing our insides, trying to have the right feelings or the right thoughts, um, only positive thinking, that sort of idea. Uh, rather than that, it's focusing on what we have more control over, which is our behavior. Um, it's a real form of liberation about whether it's about behaving with gratitude, behaving uh, with uh, peace, happiness, love, kindness, confidence, whether or not we're feeling that way. Uh, in the same way we might behave with courage, even if we're feeling afraid. So that in a nutshell is a, a, a two-day seminar. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's more, so we can feel sad and, and even depressed and still uh, do the dishes and take care of kids. Um, so my teaching is not about how to feel good, even though that was that would be very popular teaching, because many people just want to find a way to feel good more of the time and feel bad less of the time. But feelings change all the time, and 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 change comes at us in waves that we can't control or predict, but we can learn to surf. Mm. So it's the surf, courage surf and the, the waves. Yeah. And, and the quiet heroism of everyday life is doing what needs what we need to do and, and living as well as we can despite the changing weather patterns of our emotions and changing thoughts. So your relationship with death then, circling back to okay, that. Okay, coming back to that. Yeah. Um, here And this is also about paradox. I'm about to make some statements that are paradoxical. Um, make them. All right. Does time, <laughs> does time exist? Yes. Uh, is time an illusion? Yes. Uh, does free will exist? Sure. Is free will an illusion? Most certainly. Uh, are we separate selves? Sure. Yes, we are. Are we all one? Absolutely. Is death real? No doubt. Demonstrably. 
Is death an illusion? Absolutely. How can I make those statements? Well, it would be a longer than we have time for to explain that fully. I go into that in depth in the hidden school. It's like an advanced teaching. But I will say this, that conventionally speaking, time exists, um, free will exists, sure. Um, we are separate selves and death is real. From a transcendental view, it has a different set of truths and time is only the eternal present. Um, free will is an illusion. In other words, we can choose what we want, but we cannot choose what we're going to choose. That may be predetermined, uh, hardwired, if you will. Uh, and we are all one because who we are, truly, at our core, beyond the layers of the onion, beyond personality, is pure awareness or consciousness. And that is never born and never dies. And in that level, death is an illusion. Yeah. Well, Dan, I uh, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. This is, I you know, this is a this is like a it's like a dream uh, dream come true. I've interviewed some you know many cool people, right? Uh, a lot of my heroes, but this one's different because you you're almost like that fictional character. And and until like I you know you got on and I saw your smiling face, I was like. Uh, I was like, I didn't believe it was going to happen, you know? Uh, so you've made a dream come true for me. And I know you've, you know, you, you always give so much value to people whenever they hear you speak and peacefulwarrior.com. People can find you there. Way of the Peaceful Warrior is the amazing book. There's so many others too, but start with that one. And, uh, at PW Dan on, on Twitter. Now I was going to say Instagram, but not Instagram. It's Twitter. And my, I have one final question, and it's a selfish question, Dan. You ready? Sure. What advice would you give a 21-year-old with an entire life ahead of him or her? Two, two bits of advice. First, don't compare yourself with other people. It's a disrespect uh, for your process and your life. And the second thing related to it is to trust the process of your life unfolding I think faith, F-A-I-T-H, is the courage to live as if everything that happens is for our highest good and learning. Dan, you are the man. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. We've reached the end of this episode of Growth Mindset University. For more keys to success and methods to inspire your entrepreneurial spirit, head to jordanparis.com slash course and enroll in our free course to elevate your podcast to the next level. Be sure to pass the show along to someone you know who will benefit from the lessons learned in each episode and we'll catch you and them on the next episode of Growth Mindset University.